How do people form bands? Where do they start? How do they meet each other? What makes them come together artistically or fall apart? This week, we are lucky to be joined by local band Three Mandarines, an indie rock group that just released their self-titled debut album at the end of May. We'll talk about their origin story, where they are as a band today, what their trip has been like so far, and what continues to drive them. Welcome, gentlemen. Lovely to have you here. It's nice to be here. Thanks, John. Let me start by introducing the three of you. So to my far left, we have Alex Tolley on bass guitar, lead and backing vocals. Directly in front of me, I have Campbell Facker on guitar and lead vocals. And to my far right on drums, we have Elliot Eastman. Guys, I'm so happy to have you here. So can you tell me, when did you form the band? When did it all start for Three Mandarin? Um, there's been a few like iterations, like previous bands that disbanded and reformed to, to form this one, I guess. I don't know. Where do we want to start with that? Like, what? Um, I would say like, so when was, when did the three of you decide like, all right, three mandarins, that's it. That was, well, that was a band name change because we started as a triple denim. Oh, okay. Right. And that, that, that was like pre pandemic and the pandemic, I guess, is what caused the shift and where we started recording music and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but back when we were in college, we were triple denim and we had some of the same songs. Like we played mm-hmm. memory foam and that kind of thing. Nice. But, so you um, guys have, so you have all been together in the band for a few years now. It's just more of officially yeah. now you have finalized the band. Name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we should probably talk about the, um, we should probably talk about Scoob. Yeah, we or should. Maybe, maybe even Robbie Real Estate. It should. Who, who, who are who are these people or bands? What are, what is this? What are yeah, you talking about? just kind of the other iterations of the groups that became Three Mandarines, just like other people that we were playing with when we were all together in college. So, how did that come about? So, you guys have known each other for a long time, then I assume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like what sophomore year of college for me, which would have been like six years ago. Oh wow. Okay, yeah. damn. And I met Alex uh, freshman year of college. You know, we were, we were in a jazz department at our school. Oh, so you, okay. Then. So you both of you studied music at in college. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, what did you both happen to study in particular? Did you study bass? Yeah, Alex? I, uh, I think we both graduated with jazz studies. I played double bass. Yeah, and I did drums and like vibraphone. Stuff oh, like wow, that's that. really cool. Yeah. Okay, we'll talk about more of that later. So back back to the <laughs> uh, back to the bands. So in the starting form of all the bands, how many other members were included if it was not just you three? Because I assume people left. So and- there was a band called Robbie Real Estate mm-hmm. that was a combination name of like one of Alex's bands and one of this guy. Tyler Shaw. Yeah, Tyler Shaw. Tyler Tyler Shaw of uh, Robert, California. They combined to create Robbie Real Estate. And I kind of walked into that. Like, mm-hmm. I was an outsider. They were all studying music. Mm-hmm. And I, f- I, I think it was through, I don't know who it was through, like Name Change or something when, when I, I met. I believe that's another band, right? Yeah, that's another <laughs> band. Another project <laughs> Campbell lot, was involved with. Yeah, yeah, just like a lot of involvement and a lot of projects led to us three just deciding, okay, we share a lot of just like musical, I don't know, just like we have, we have a similar type of creative drive that mm-hmm. we, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You all just kind of found in each other and we're like, Hey, I love this attribute or I like mm-hmm. this. Let's form a band. Let's yeah. really finalize this and just have us three do our own separate thing. Yeah. So that's another, really cool. Another big thing that was kind of helpful was running to running into each other at other shows like Joyce Manor and mm-hmm. Bundabar are, other 
Joyce Manor and Boone Devar, other like great bands that like yeah. we'd like go to a concert and then run into each other and it was like, oh, oh, so you like the same stuff that we do. This yeah. is gonna work out fine. Yeah, the yeah. Boondabar show at the Royale. Mm. I barely knew you, I think, when Yeah, I don't think we were really friends yet. Yeah. It took a little while. So those who are unaware, Wunderbar is a Boston band who uh, is relatively well known. They just uh tr- Tributed a lot of uh, TikTok fame, I believe, with their song Alien Blues. Blues. They're yeah. now going on tour with Franz Ferdinand, I believe. So yeah, very I'm very excited. Actually, yeah. They have ascended from the Boston scene. They, they have. They're, I'm they're actually, huge. funnily enough, I'm wearing a Wunderbar shirt right now. I got Love this from it. the last show that I saw them at. There you go. Um, all right. So you all have experience playing in front of crowds. And you all, some of the songs that you have on the albums or on the album are songs that you've had previously written everything. So that's very interesting to hear about. So when you guys first started playing gigs, gigs, was this at the start of the pandemic or it how was did before that, the pandemic? It was before. Okay. Um, if we're counting the triple denim times, a lot of our first gigs were like, you know, back at Westfield state, we mm-hmm. did the battle of the bands oh, okay. as triple denim. Oh yeah. And, and we did the owl's nest when we did like a show there, mm-hmm. we opened for snow house as, as wow. um yeah these are all the so the owl's nest is like a basement venue that we had at westfield <laughs> state it was this really cool underground just like room that had a hundred you could fit a hundred people in there it so. was super reflective like yeah. it was just it, it it hurt to be in there sometimes <laughs> i yeah i i can imagine it would hurt to be in there but um, it was super fun i was gonna say it's fun though because you could get a lot of people in there you could yeah, everybody was people, there for yeah. it like they were into it they yeah. got all the chairs on the side of the room yeah so when you guys were starting on his triple denim you already had original songs. Were you only playing original songs or did you have some covers in there as well? We had just written a few original songs. Mm-hmm. Like we, we had done Mayo pop as, <laughs> as, as pop. triple denim. Mayo pop as in mayonnaise, like mayonnaise, mayonnaise popsicle. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. That or, or a subgenre of pop that is, involves mayonnaise. Yeah. <laughs> uh, along, along with like memory foam, I think at the time, memory boomerang, foam was one boomerang of generation. These are all yeah. songs out there. Those are, that, album, those so. are the first generation songs for us. Nice. So was it, was it intimidating playing those songs in front of people for the first time or because you had already had all of that experience of meshing in to playing in front of crowds, were you not as worried? Um, Dude, I'd say, I'd say I personally wasn't that way. I felt like we just like clicked in super easily as mm-hmm. a group. Like, I wasn't worried about playing with them, but like the music that we were playing, I guess, like in that scene wasn't. We never could guarantee ourselves that like the crowd would like it. Yeah. Like we were messing with a lot of like instrumental ideas, like kind of getting mathy with it and like not. I don't know. I feel like in college, when you're playing to college crowds, it's not always like getting mathy is what people are interested in, you know? Yeah. Not everybody's going to like the. Yeah. the vibe or the, not, the sound of it they're not going to be blown away you know by that necessarily as much as they are if you're just like loud and crazy yeah because i myself have experienced math rock and with your band i i know of it not everybody can really identify what it is but it's one of those things where if you don't know what it is you might just look at it or hear it and go like what <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. what is happening and it's like you're doing an equation while you're playing a song sir like it sometimes doesn't make sense but in a lot of senses if you can really sit down and understand it's so so good so i want to talk about when you guys first started playing how were you guys booking the gigs back in college were you just finding basements were you finding houses Pretty much, yeah. We had <laughs> we had friends that were putting shows together, yeah, and they knew us as people. Nice, yeah. <laughs> that had a band, and that's how it went. You know, we weren't known as a band; we were just known as people that had a band mm-hmm. through friends. And so, Alex, were you guys playing out? Um, would you like find other houses in other towns? And, yeah. So, um, or other colleges, at least. 
Yeah, I'm a pretty big fan of the DIY scene. I think anybody who's willing to like let you into their home and like set up a PA <laughs> are probably like fun people. Yeah. So when other groups that I've played in, like Robbie Real Estate came from Robert California and Sharkbait, mm-hmm. uh, Sharkbait Real Estate, but the I kind of like used the people, used the connections that I had made with the other band to um, kind of like get us in and play places. Mm-hmm. But we also know Matt Chadwick from Brinstar, who is just yeah top tier human being. Yes, and uh, Brinstar is a great venue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we 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 had uh, we were lucky enough to have Matt in here a couple weeks ago, and we talked to him about Brinstar and the DIY scene that he sort of created at that house and the vibe that is attributed with it and it's so amazing what it brings Dude. to the table Brent so Star is legendary status it is, it is legendary status so speaking of the diy shows and seeing other bands play how did that change your perspective on other people other bands other styles of music when some of the mixes were a little different and also you know these people as friends so it's what is it like seeing these people performing like how did that change your perspective on them is that mean, a tough do you question mean or? seeing like like Bands that are friends of ours or like, so just say other DIY, just other DIY kind of bands, just anybody really, or people that you ha- have known in the past that are also playing in gigs that you're playing in. You know what I mean? Track meet. Yeah. So yeah. track so meet track, a band. M-E-A-T. Yeah. They're, uh, they're an Amherst band, but, um, we're all from the South shore. Mm-hmm. So I, I knew them before and then we started playing shows together and mm-hmm. it was kind of a nice our music isn't necessarily similar, but mm-hmm. compatible. Like they kind of have a lot more of like a almost like shoe, shoegaze and then like Fugazi kind of punk mm-hmm. turn to it. So it's like our music is when we're in a set together, it's very like in the bigger sense of the night. It's yeah. it's good to have together. That's something that like I'm just thinking now, like a lot of music on the DIY scene, if it's geographically related, if mm-hmm. it's on the same scene, even if it's not similar music, a lot of times it just happens to be compatible because mm-hmm. like. I, I don't know. It's just like something about like being in the same area as somebody. It's like there's something about your music that feels like there's a relationship there. I also feel like the people that we've met throughout the DIY scene, DIY scene are like so open to any genre. Yeah, that's um, so true. At yes. least in like, you know, within the Providence and within the Boston scene, we've met a lot of great people that also like, you know, like Chadwick, like people that are just like proprietors of like good music mm-hmm. and like that local scene supporting each other so yeah so trying to promote great. musical diversity and everything like mm-hmm. so that actually goes into my next question i was going to talk about what is it like having these bands surrounding you are they very supportive of each other are you all trying to find each other gigs being like hey we're playing this gig come see us play or we're playing here we need a, another band to play with us please come play is that one of those things that happens a lot or definitely if yeah. a band drops and like we have someone in mind that can drop in like it's also really good it to be able to like reach people super fast. I feel like Instagram is super yeah. helpful for just like getting a hold of different bands. That's mm-hmm. definitely like ideally how the DIY scene works is like everyone trying to serve each other. Like the mm-hmm. bands that we like, we like to try to get them gigs. I think the way it works a lot of times though, is that like certain bands are better at getting gigs, mm-hmm. you know, and getting gigs for other bands. So yeah. like, we're not always the ones leading the charge on that. Like occasionally we'll try it's tough like it's tough communicating with venues and and being the one to put a show together yeah so we're just lucky that there's people who assume that role on the scene Mm -hmm. and it's like an unofficial role a lot of the times yeah in the case of hammer collective like it's an official role like people make it their business what is is hammer what is hammer collective um so his name is nick lowney and he works in mostly rhode island but Mm -hmm. he is amazing at booking gigs and printing merch for people and uh 
pretty much any band that we've ever played with has worked with him to get on a different set before. Oh, wow. And so uh, he d- does he uh, function through Instagram and book gigs through there? Is that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But he's also like prolific to the Rhode Island scene. Oh, wow. Definitely. Like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, every I can't think of a band that hasn't like done a bill and like communicated through him at any point. That's really, that's really cool. I love to hear that. So I want to touch back on the fact that you all met in college, but I want to focus a little bit on what you all studied. So Cam, I want to start with you. You are an English major. Is that right? Yes. So how has that helped your songwriting? Dude, it's hard to say. It's hard (laughs) to say how helpful that's been because before I was ever an English major, I was writing songs. Mm -hmm. Um, It's it's probably influenced my songwriting, but Mm -hmm. I, the main thing that I got out of being an English major is learning how to just like talk and communicate and like mm-hmm. write. That's, I mean, in the band, I a lot of times I assume the role as the blurb writer. Like if mm-hmm. I have to contact a venue, I'm usually the one to write an email mm-hmm. um, just because I'm good at putting that stuff together because I was an English major. <laughs> but yeah. other than that, dude, I don't know if it's really affected my songwriting that much. Maybe when I studied poetry, that mm-hmm. would that might have been the main I don't thing. know. I think a lot of your songwriting tells stories more or less. Like rather than having these like super like A, B, A, A kind of verses, it's like one thematic idea, which is yeah. like super Yeah, even cool. thinking back on songs that I remember you wrote before you were even in this band, I remember uh, Consequences or um, what was the other? Triple Shot. All of those songs. The Half Tab songs. The Half Tab songs. All of those songs were telling a story. Mm-hmm. You weren't just being like, I want to do this. You were physically wrote a story. And even with the most with the new album that you guys released with the song Wiper Blades, which we'll t- touch upon later, you're telling a complete story of <laughs> you buying new wiper blades. <laughs> like, it's really funny, but it's so well written. And I, and I want to talk about that Thanks, later, but dude. I, um, we love that song. It's a, it's such a good song, but you, you are a storyteller and you're right. And I, and I do want to say, I think that that definitely shows from your, a lot of the things that you've learned in your past. So more studying and everything, Alex, you studied double bass. How long have you been playing bass? Um, I started, uh, I think like seventh grade. Oh wow! So, so you're very young. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. I've been playing for I think about ten years, but it's uh, it's been a trip. <laughs> <laughs> I um, I grew up playing in bands. None of the schools I went to had music programs, so it's a lot of like, sorry, DIY stuff. Like a lot of kind of just playing in friends' basements. Mm-hmm. But um, when I went to school, when I found out you could go to school for music, I was like, sign me up. Yeah, that's it. And then <laughs> that's that's where I met Elliot. But I started playing double bass my sophomore year mm-hmm. and I played a lot of jazz, got into composing. And then Elliot and I were getting together and it was like, hey, like, you want to try doing something that doesn't have to do with school? <laughs> and then we were writing music together. And then it became like, oh, Campbell is the most suited musician to be playing in this group and then mm-hmm. getting together. Yeah. So could you explain to the audience what a double bass is? It's it's the biggest version of the violin. It's the largest <laughs> instrument in the string family. Yeah. Um it's tuned the same way as a bass guitar is, but it's uh it's very large and it's like uh a standing up instrument has a peg in the bottom, so I kind of measure it. I'm six seven, so I yeah. can level it with my height. Yeah, so you're very lucky that you can just kind of really adjust the height of the bass. Yeah. And you're not one of the smaller people like I am, where you'd really have to force yourself to. Um, <laughs> and when it resonates, that. it feels different, yeah, like because it's so big and the the strings are so large. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to get a picture in people's minds, if you're thinking of a jazz band, it's the guy in the back going, do 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 do. You know, <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's like that's if you can imagine it, that's what it is. Um, um, so Eli, I want to talk about your studying in school. So what specifically did you major in? Was it drum? Yeah. Jazz performance with jazz like, performance. you know, like 
studying mostly like drums and mm-hmm. then like when i got to school i you know like we you have to take like piano classes as a music major and like mm-hmm. then like playing vibraphone which is like a it's like this metal version of a xylophone it's got a dampening pedal just mm-hmm. like um a piano would oh wow so yeah so how long were you playing before that because i assume you didn't just pick up drums in college yeah <laughs> yeah you know most kids who like are in elementary school like you start in fourth grade with like percussion and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And you know, like you have the classical row and like all that mm-hmm. stuff. And then like at the end of high school, I kind of started playing drum set like junior year mm-hmm. and got into jazz. And then like Alex was like, Oh, you can go to music school for that. So I was like, I'll definitely go into that. <laughs> That's amazing. That's really cool. So Cam, you, when did you start playing guitar? Cause was I, that technically, um, so when I got my first guitar, I was seven years old. That was like, I'd say well before I really played guitar Mm because my dad was just like, we're going to go to the store and get you a guitar. And I don't know why. I don't know what made him do that. But he was just like, we're going to Guitar Center and getting you one of those like Squire, like amp and guitar Mm -hmm. packs that you can get. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, It was like a little red strat. But yeah, I, I, I played it for like a probably a year. Like I tried and it's hard when you're a kid. So I just dropped it for a couple of years. And I think Mm -hmm. when I was 10, I really came back to it. So it was really, it was really there when it started. Yeah. And then like, I never did it for school. Like I, I, I didn't study it except for, because I was, I was already pretty good by the time I was in high school, mm-hmm. the jazz band accepted me Oh wow! and it was like an after school thing. So that's the only school thing I ever did for guitar. But otherwise it was like, I was playing guitar after school instead of doing my homework, you know, <laughs> like most kids would and sh- probably shouldn't, but it's honestly better that way. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. remember doing very similar things when I was a kid coming home and playing drums for hours on end. I bet Eli, you did. Yeah. And I want to talk about the band name actually real quick. So, <laughs> oh yes, <laughs> I know what it's from. The audience doesn't three mandarins. You spell it wrong <laughs> yep. for a reason. Why? <laughs> What's can, the can point? I, can I start with this one? I kind of want to yeah, go for it by all means. So there's there's this really amazing Australian YouTube cartoon called The Big Les Show. Okay. Um, you if you looked it up right now, you'd thank us later. It's just the best thing ever. But um, yeah, it's this like it this dude in Australia decided one day to to make a cartoon in Microsoft Paint using the trackpad on a laptop. And it's it was it was a long running thing and it's like kind of still going. But there's an episode where this character Clarence, mm-hmm. um, I probably shouldn't go into too big details about this, but he goes to he goes to this Sasquatch's shop and he goes and orders like a, a one dollar scratch ticket and the guy's like fifty bucks and he's like okay I'll buy a one dollar scratch ticket for fifty bucks fine, and then he scratches off one thing and there's like oh a mandarin. It's a mandarin orange, just a little cartoon picture of a mandarin orange. And then another one, he's like, oh, two mandarins. <laughs> and then he scratches the third one. And he's like, oh, three mandarins. So oh. he wins the million dollars. He wins like, yeah, it's like a hundred freaking million dollars. <laughs> or so it's all excited. The three mandarins are just completely. It's basically just the excitement of this guy's reaction. Yeah, <laughs> it's like that's I don't know. That's I, the energy we're going for. That's kind of the energy like we're going for. Yeah, he really loses it in that moment. He's yeah, he's, dude. He goes nuts. He does. I, I've I've seen the video and I know what you're talking about. And his arms kind of flail in the wind, and he goes. The other things happen that I can't really mention in the, in the podcast yeah. right now. But, but it's ultimately, so the, funny. So the, please watch. This. That whole episode is kind of a tragedy because ultimately, yeah, you know, without saying all the details of it, he loses it. He yeah. loses all the money. Yeah, he loses the <laughs> ticket, and it's it's so sad that he loses all the money. But it's it's still so funny how that's where you got the name from because the first time I saw that, 
I couldn't stop laughing, but I was like, that's such a good name too. Because I was, I was like, it's such a good name, but it's, it's, I could, I couldn't believe where you got it from. Um, so in other inspirations, I want to talk about bands that inspired you as you guys were growing up. That's so I assume fun. you all had similar interests, but you, I want to talk about you with your drumming. Where did that, where did it come from? Where did it start for you? Yeah, I guess, I mean, like, I really, I guess, didn't get into like, not mainstream, but like had a wide variety of music that I listened to until like high school. And then like, as I got into college, like I listened to like classic rock growing up and stuff like that, like whatever your parents are showing you for the most part. Like, um, most, like a good amount of kids. Yeah. Usually, you know, like yeah. Zeppelin and like ACDC, like all the like kind of stuff like that. But then like once I got into high school, I kind of really got big into jazz and like a lot of like the earlier drummers, like, you know, like Philly Joe Jones and like Max Roach are these like pioneers of jazz that mm -hmm. um elvin jones like there's too many tony williams stuff like that <laughs> yeah but then like getting into high school or not high school college you know meeting alex and like tyler shaw who's that guitarist from robert california really opened up my ears to like lots of different ways of music like you know wave is like a great band and like joyce Maynard were like some early stuff um and then like when i started hanging out with these guys we got into like more matthew stuff like don caballero mm -hmm. And Alex showed me like Zach Hill with um with Hella and like Bygones. So like a lot of that stuff has influenced what I've been doing now, I guess. So nice. That's really cool. So with the math rock stuff, uh Alex, where did that come from for you? How did that start if you were showing him all these bands that because I don't even know I did not know math rock existed until I got to college. Could you explain it as well? Like yeah. what, what is it? Um, I don't know what it is. So it's kind of got it's how late in the game we are now like there's so many like subgenres. like i feel like it's really been kind of ripped apart but to m my understanding and the way that i incorporate it into our music is like more elaborate rhythms like there's definitely uh, a sound harmonically and it has a lot to do with like guitar and drums but it's like very refined and complex rhythms just played in a rock orientation mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay um, so i'm trying to think of like also, what can you uh list some bands maybe that yeah you can think of off the top of your head that would represent that yeah so my opening into it was hella so that's okay. like a, a duo with uh spencer simon guitar and zach hill on drums mm -hmm. and their first record was just a duo where like his guitar is tuned into this like weird all the songs are in like different tunings and like mm -hmm. the guitar is like very bright and he's doing a lot of like strange extended techniques where like two handed tapping or doing like very virtuosic. Like it's almost like taking Eddie Van Halen mm -hmm. type like playing, but incorporating it into emo music. Oh, OK. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So, so I, I found really... that. Yeah, I found that in high school and that really opened my mind to the idea of like outside of like verse chorus verse mm -hmm. chorus, like yeah. really kind of like building an on an idea. But Elliot is like. <laughs> knocks it right out of the water because and that's kind of the best part and like Don Caballero is the same way where it's like mm -hmm. everyone's really listening to each other and the the percussion is very melodic mm -hmm. but kind of like it's almost like he's he's driving he's driving and we're kind of coloring stuff yeah I was gonna mention the drums on the album flawless <laughs> like, they're it. so like you can hear every single ghost note little nuance and flair from every single drum and cymbal and just oh so good i want to talk about it more later but um so uh going back on inspirations what other bands inspired you alex so um besides math rock i assume that's not yeah. the only thing you well to. before before we go any more forward i want to talk about american dawn which is a really good record by a band called don caballero okay and they are they're another math rock group but they're 
that album, American Dawn, is probably my favorite trio record of all time. Mm-hmm. And like being able to watch footage of them, like interacting with each other on stage, like because there's a certain level of like fast paced thinking that has to go with like you keeping the time, making sure you're in time with everybody else and like checking your levels on the amp, making sure that like everything isn't about to fall apart. Like mm-hmm. there's a lot of like kind of we're all on the same page at a faster pace and like that record just kind of experiments so much with different ideas melodically. That's really cool. Super influential. I have to give it a listen. So Cam, you, yeah. I'm, I've talked to you in the past about your influences and bands that you liked. I know you and I both love Bundabar that we, yeah. we talked about earlier, but other bands yeah. that inspired you. Yeah. Cause I assume like, they had an influence in some of your songwriting. Oh, well. for sure. I mean, like it's, it's, it, I'm a lot of times I'm really nervous that people are going to recognize Bundabar ideas in my songwriting. So, but yeah, I mean, Vunabar is, I mean, even though that's like what we were into in college, I consider that like more like my recent inspirations. They're not like, I don't go way back with Vunabar, but like if you go back further, mm-hmm. I actually was really into Chad Stokes and Dispatch like when mm-hmm. I was, when I was in high school and like middle school and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, he is like another, mainly a storyteller through music. Like it's not, his music isn't related to math rock or any of the a lot of any of the really music that I listen to now, but, um, yeah, it's, I, I, I guess I found a lot in his songwriting. I listened to a lot of folk punk in like late high school. Mm -hmm. Um, Andrew Jackson, Jihad, Pat, the bunny, all of his projects and stuff kind of in late high school, early college. Um, folk punk's an interesting genre. I I will say it's very, it's, it's just acoustic for those who don't know. It's acoustic uh, instruments with just very, very angry singers. Yeah. A lot of times, (laughs) a lot of times there's anger. A lot of times it's just like complete despair. Also that as well. I can't listen to that much folk punk anymore. Like it just makes me sad. Yeah. I was going to (laughs) say it causes a lot of different emotions. Yeah. But it was really cathartic for a certain time in my life. And I took a lot from songwriters like Sean Bonnet and, Mm -hmm. and, and like Pat the Bunny and and going back further chad stokes too who isn't like folk punk exactly but she's just like a really great songwriter who just wasn't afraid of telling other people's stories and like getting into wacky subjects and all that so nice yeah and then going back further grateful dead yeah <laughs> okay very cool nice. i was into the dead when i was in high school nice yeah so yeah did you all have a lot of classic rock influences or totally yeah yeah I'm, well I don't know about you, Alan. Uh, I'm not really. Yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, like, I like the Beatles and the Beach Boys. Okay, but that's fair. But. I, I got really into, like, garage rock revival music, like, 2009 to 2014, kind of. That was, I feel like, when I got Pandora. So it was, like, easier <laughs> to, like, find things that were more on page with what I like. Like, yeah. Waves, Ty Seagal, yeah. um, Smith Westerns. Like, I don't know. I really like the sound of, like, trying to recapture older sounding things but like currently so like people kind of being able to being able to like listen to that kind of garage rock sound and then go see a concert where they're actually playing it versus yeah. you know really old people playing <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. I see, yeah i see what you're saying yeah i get it so you want to you want to see the bands like whoa that's exactly what i thought they would be like <laughs> yeah, yeah alex but. we had a day where you just gave me the whole spiel in garage rock like I'm, i was like you took me down memory lane as far as like all the garage rock that shaped you and yeah like, oh, crap like I, I really like Bass Drum of Death and Waves. Those are two really good bands. For those who don't know, they 
both those bands have a song in Grand Theft Auto Five. So yeah, check it, check yeah, it out. actually, that's what, how, what's it called? Vinewood Boulevard Radio. Yeah, that's that's how I discovered <laughs> both of those bands was through Grand Theft Auto Five, and they're both now some of my favorite bands because of the exposure that I had through that video game. But besides that, now that's that crazy. we've gone through all the inspirations and the songwriting and everything, I'm very excited to finally ask you questions about how you guys recorded this album that you yeah. released at the end of yeah. May, self-titled debut phenomenal you re- released it on memorial day i was unfortunately not at the album release party but i uh assume it was a great concert i really wish a I great was there. show we played with track me uh another great local boston band called golly lagging yeah golly lagging oh is awesome. shout out to golly lagging for sure um and then um we had an op- do we have an opener uh jvk JVK, played. JVK yeah yeah so I want to talk about the album and the recording process. So I watched it happen and unfold on Instagram. Where did you record this? Was this in a living room or a shed or what? Because I was very confused at how you got the quality of the sound in the rooms that you recorded in. So uh, the, the Instagram videos you might have seen are actually in my garage. So that's OK. Is that the is that the shed that I'm well aware of? By yes. OK, so yeah. that's an, OK. I, what I did is I separated it like half and half. Like I put blankets from the ceiling down so that we could have like a recording booth and like <laughs> yeah, all this all was that. DIY. It's yeah, DIY. I, I imagine you. Uh, yeah, because I've been in this in this shed that you have, Cam, at, up at your house and it's the coolest place ever. So building it all, you have this amazing setup and recording everything in there. Did you have microphones and amplifiers and yeah, interfaces yeah. and I, all these things? Uh, the amplifier we used was my brother's Vox AC30. Mm-hmm. And I used a lot of my younger brother's equipment. He he is also a music producer. He's really talented and wow. amazing. But he left me a lot of his stuff because he was like at college or something. <laughs> so he was, like, he was like, have fun. <laughs> yeah, he left me his really nice microphone preamp. It was like a Focusrite ISA1 and, you know, an SM7B and like just like some nice mics. And we just used all those to track the guitar and bass. Nice. So how did you start with the tracking? Did you start specifically with guitar and bass or did you start with drums? We started or? with drums. Started yeah. with drums. Yeah, we went into actually the basement of Brinstar. Really? That's, that's where the drums are recorded. Yeah. Because um, that's, that's a big, that's a big room. Yeah. It, so, at the time, I think it was completely carpeted still. Yeah. Which definitely helped a lot for that sound isolation. Mm-hmm. Um, we had some, some sketchy things. Like the first day we forgot some mic stands and we had to the broom mic. The broom mic. We had to oh, throw yeah. a broom into the wall. Like there's a little hole in the wall, and we just like held the condenser <laughs> mic for the right side in it. Luckily, it, it was like the perfect position. It was for great. Like it one great. side of the overhead setup. Oh, so, that's but ridiculous. yeah, we used those takes. It's yeah. on the record. The so you mic. had just a broomstick, just in the wall, holding a microphone. That's on the album. I love that. So <laughs> you ran into some issues recording into the big room. How many? What is it? Did it take a lot of takes? Did you already? So I have so many time. questions on how you recorded the drums because if you recorded those first. Were you playing along with them? Did you have a click track? Did you, how did it work? Yeah, so funny enough, uh, most of the drum takes are not done to any song, any like scratch tracks. A couple of them we had like done some like live, um, like scratch tracks with mm. everybody. And then I would like play over those. But a lot of our songs like to like make the scratch track and like the the um, the metronome, it would just be like too much work mm. to be honest. Cause it's a lot of changing and like almost like shifting of time. So like they kind of just had to follow me for the rest of the recording process. Oh wow! So you were just you literally was so when Alex you mentioned that uh, Elliot was driving, he literally was driving the yeah. whole album. Yep. Yeah. Wow. We we put Elliot in a tricky position because he had to make perfect takes pretty much. Yeah. Um. There was definitely. I think we did takes. three three days. Yeah, we did three or, different drums. Did yeah. we do four? We might have done four. Did we do a fourth to do discount whiskey? Yeah. 
We might have done that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. So, yeah, it was in each song. I feel like some of them had, you know, 10 takes. I think Casket was one take. Casket one, was like one, one and done. Like yeah. the first time you hit it, you got the that's entire cool. song in one take. You did the. F- that's, I'm speechless in that because that song, the drums in that song are like, I'm speechless with that because I, it, yeah, for you. the audience who doesn't know, the drums in that song are f- absolutely phenomenal. They're so perfectly in time and everything. As I was on my way here, I literally was just like, I sit there and I just go, <laughs> I'm just like, Ugh. I wish I could do that. But um, it's it's so good. I can't believe you did that in one take. That blows. We've my been mind. playing that song since college, the college days. Yeah, that was like Scoobera song. That's a Scoobera song. That, so that drums, that married. drum part's been there for so like forever. You, you've so. had it burned into your memory. Yeah, and then we stopped playing it. And then I think for like the pandemic, we like going back a little bit. We didn't really play a ton. Mm-hmm. It was more of like. We were like conceptualizing all these ideas that we wanted to do once we could get back together because I'm from Western Mass and like I, I like after college, I lived, lived back in North Adams for a bit and then moved in with Tolly. And then that's kind of like the start of like where we really started playing and writing music again. That's North Adams is out there. It's out there. <laughs> yeah, that, it's, is, yeah. that is like the tip of Massachusetts, exactly. like way, you know, like way Like super up. close to New York and Vermont at yeah, the same time. It's like you border. It's like the tri-state area almost. <laughs> I feel pre- like. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so after you guys recorded the drums, did you record obviously the bass and guitar separate? Did you do guitar first, bass first or together? I did a, I did a few songs on guitar first, but a lot of what we did, I think that, um, I did a couple songs on guitar and then when Alex was able to come up to my house, because that's where we did the guitar and bass was my house and my guitar in my garage. Mm-hmm. And when he was able to come up, I still hadn't done certain songs on guitar yet, I think. Right. Yeah. We were just filling in. I was filling yeah. in what you had done, and then we were also like dropping me in somewhere with Elliot's drums. And and luckily, like we're recording songs that we knew how to play. So like when we recorded bass, if he did a bass take, I could like play over it real quick to make sure that it sounded good with the guitar too, to make sure that it was like you know, give a nice little test. Yeah, because nice. that's the tricky thing is like it's hard to imagine what it's all going to sound like together unless you're testing each part along the way, and like plugging the pieces in mm-hmm. just to make sure, sure that it all vibes you know so overall how long did it take you guys to make the album to completion how many months so i assume it wasn't a couple yeah couple I, I would say like two months probably yeah um it was intense like in april i don't remember probably beginning of april and then the album came out at the end of may it was a, <laughs> that's pretty fast that's I, thought I thought we started drums in march we might have started in march but it was definitely like it in the general time. timeline of how albums are made i would say it was a streamlined process it was crunch time when we mm-hmm. did it yeah. yeah but we wanted we wanted to get some stuff out for like the for the summer basically mm-hmm. have that music out so in the recording process um did you guys have your instruments plugged directly into the amplifiers with the microphones set up hardlined into the computer so instead of having the instrument directly plugged into the computer, it doesn't sound like computery almost. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. We mic'd up amps. Mm-hmm. Um, we thought about doing some bass directly in. Um, I think we just didn't end up doing it. We decided that we thought that it sounded better if we if we mic'd up the bass cabinet and everything. So it's all just mics on amps. Yeah. Make it give it a, give it a live feel. Almost. Yeah. Yeah. But it's still it's all close mic'd. So mm-hmm. it still sounds crisp and clean. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, was going to say, so that brings back to brings me back to the drums. When did you have every single drum mic'd and every single was it? Did you have dampeners on them, T-shirts? So we were using the, the at the time, the current Brinstar house kit, which um, yeah, to DIY standards was very DIY. Um, it has the ride symbol that's on there. That that's mine. 
Oh yeah, <laughs> that ride, that the really, ride symbol, the really skinny one, the really skinny one. That's all the edges are bashed in. That's my oh, symbol. Wow. That's my symbol. That was the symbol yeah. I learned on. That thing's kind of broken. Uh, now. Yeah, no, it's trash. <laughs> um, but so you use that kit. So yeah, I used that kit. Like I brought my own snare and cymbals and stuff. But like I loved the sound of that mm-hmm. kit. Like anytime you're on the opposite side and like playing, because like sitting in front of the drums, you're totally like hearing something different than what everyone else is hearing. Yeah. But um, the recordings came out great, and like everything was pretty close mic. Like all the cymbals were mic, two overheads, mm-hmm. a pretty standard setup. Um, it was yeah. just done really well between Casey and like Casey. Casey Campbell's yeah. brother has some like great equipment as well that he brought. Yeah. Did he, he help with the production at all? He he did. He was there for the first drum session. Um, I think he had to go back to college for the other ones and he just didn't have time to help us with the other ones. But he kind of gave us like being there for the first time. He showed us how he would do it. And we just did it that way from then on. Mm-hmm. So we he kind of gave us the template for just like, OK, here's how we're going to track drums. So you were really lucky where he knew what you guys wanted to do and he showed you what to do and then he could leave and say have fun pretty much (laughs) exactly yeah Yeah, he was super helpful that's awesome so i want to talk about the songwriting specifically uh the first two songs in the album i want to dive into wiper blades now cam i believe this is a song that you wrote is that correct yeah can you tell me a little bit about the song the story behind it i should Um, clarify that there's a i mean there's like i wrote it but we all wrote certain sections of it, you know, lyrically, you wrote the lyrically. I wrote it. Okay. <laughs> that's, yeah. a, that's more of what I, I was going to uh, yeah. ask again, because the equal importance of you all having your own say in each song and how things flow. I was going to ask how much of the song did you originally have planned out and how much of it was added by the two of you, by the two Alex and Elliot. Um, so when I first, I think showed you guys the idea for the song, the, when I had like a lyrical idea in my head, that was the intro of the song. And I had like the, you know, hit lyrics, mm-hmm. hit lyrics type of thing. Elliot came up with the kind of like Tom rumble in between, like the drum beat that you do between mm-hmm. each of the hits. And we just kind of jammed on it until we found something that sounded good, but that's all we had. Mm-hmm. And then I had a separate idea that I showed you guys another time, which was that breakdown instrumental section where there's like kind of a little bit of a guitar solo. Um, mind melting by the way the whole song is really it's so cool how it transitions i'm just gonna tell you that right now but and and like (laughs) but so those they were almost two different song ideas that uh eventually we just decided to smush together and once those two got smushed together i wrote like the second half of the song Mm. to the end um but it took me a long time to write that song like i came up with the first few lines and maybe the first verse or so like when we were still in college oh wow and the rest of the song, like the second half of the song I wrote, like, I don't know, like we wrote that song almost not too long before we recorded it. Like we were not playing it for that long. Wow. We started playing it over the winter and, and yeah, so that's kind of how it came together. I don't know. What do you guys have to say about that? Did I get it all right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, I, uh, Campbell's songwriting definitely opened up my mind to what you can not necessarily get away with in a song, but like, oh, you can actually do that and make it sound cool. Mm, nice. um, Interesting. So has it being in a band with Kim and just overall throughout your time, has that helped influence you and your songwriting now that you've seen so many kind of doorways open? Definitely. Um, he's also like the whole group very open-minded and supportive with like trying out different ideas. Like I feel like we'll take a section and then like, take it apart and put it back together and find a way to kind of make it work with the music. It's always really satisfying when Elliot and I 
are like working on something and then Campbell comes over and just like drops the Tetris piece in that like levels everything like the perfect fit in. Yeah, just mm-hmm. the, the perfect piece of the puzzle. Just like, bing, it's done. Nice. So now that we're talking about your songs, I want to talk about Casket because I love this song and I can hear it. Is it sort of, I don't know. Don't yell at me. Is it inspired by Wunderbar? Oh, yeah. Okay. I, I think oh, I just, also, I felt like I should have said this earlier. Like, we've had so many conversations about Wunderbar. Like, their first three records are so good. So good. No, they you know? are really good, but I can hear it in the guitar strumming patterns. Uh, the immediate, just how you're doing it when the song starts, how it flows out, but it's so unique to your sound still. You can hear the inspiration, but you can tell that it's not them. So I want to just point that out, that your song is very unique in how it sounds, but I can hear the influences, but it's still amazing. And I want to talk about something that you mentioned earlier was that the math, mathiness to some of your songs. You have like some weird little intricate tidbits in some of your songs where you yeah. have some subtle like cam. I know you do these guitar parts on your guitar where you bounce around on the strings. It's hard to explain and describe, but bouncing around is actually a pretty good way of explaining it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like bing. <laughs> it's yeah, like that's yeah. like you literally it just sounds like yeah. bouncing that's like the the what i imagine if it were a cartoon it'd be just like someone bouncing around so where did that idea for bouncing around on the guitar come from because i don't know other bands or people who do that kind of jumping because elliot you follow along on your drums mm. with specific drum beats to match what everything's happening so it all is intricate and flowing in perfect time like, so i think that sometimes the bouncing around i think maybe originally it came from listening to like Chon songs like you know talking back about math rock again Mm -hmm. like that's one thing that they kind of do but they do it so fast that you barely know what's going on and i'm kind of slowing it down (laughs) but um a lot of that is also informed by elliot's like drumming style like if you come up with a drum beat a lot of times i'm inclined to try and lock on to the hits yeah instead of playing some like some vaguely related guitar part. I want to play something that literally sounds like it's locked in with your drums. So that's where the bouncing around kind of gets emphasized too. And I think being in this group, like for the however long we've been together at this point, we've taken a lot from each other. Like I feel like my drumming's become more melodic because of how Cam plays, and like maybe you've become more percussive and like totally those different types of articulations. Through, yeah, like, you, you know, playing. Together. I was gonna say you can really hear it on a lot of the songs where you both are really in tune and in like in time with each other and you really try to match each other's sounds and even with the bass as well tying it in so the album as a whole i loved it it was really really well done very well recorded the sound quality on it even though you recorded it in like your garage and then in a basement it sounds like you recorded it in a professional studio and that's really amazing that you were able to do that so where can people listen to this how can they access this album Wherever you get your music for the most part. I mean, if you're if you're on streaming services like Spotify, Apple Music, you can find it on Bandcamp. Um, YouTube. We, yeah. YouTube. Yeah. I also want to give a shout out to Jacob Keplinger, mm-hmm. who's uh, yeah. a, another local artist uh, in a band called Free Rock who mastered our album. An amazing yeah. engineer. In Definitely got to give him some credit for how good yeah. it sounds. Exactly. Yeah. Nice. That's really cool. I was going to say, because the mastering is something that a lot of people forget about with an album is very mm-hmm. important and it really made the album sound very cool. So like you guys said, anywhere you can get your music, it's not, a, you don't have any physical copies of it, I imagine. So no vinyl or CDs. We're, we're working. It's in the process. Ooh, we're working on it. Yeah. Ooh, some- all right, cool. Cause I want a vinyl. Um, but for those out there, it's Spotify, Apple music, um, YouTube, any of those, do you guys have any music videos at all? 
technically we have a music video you have the, from cam you have one i have okay i have like a professionally made music video for a song that's in my solo project uh, right, that right. is based on half tab all right, right yeah that song i made a music video for triple shot and we were all in that yes so yeah. that's you could say that's one of our music videos because we actually sometimes still play that song mm-hmm. um but there, there was also a funny little music video that we made back in college or that me and and uh matt rogler made mm-hmm um it was just one of my friends who was in the film program uh for memory foam (laughs) so that's on youtube if you look up memory foam you can find triple denim memory foam on youtube okay as a music video and the song is based on a live performance so okay good to know that's just an easter egg (laughs) a little easter egg so um where else can people find you on social media do you guys have an instagram account do you guys have anything else we operate primarily on instagram Mm -hmm. okay instagram three is it three mandarins three mandarins just three mandarins just three mandarins and i'm gonna spell that out because you spell mandarins wrong (laughs) um so three is t-h-r-e-e mandarins m-a-n-d-a-r-e-e-n-s that is how you spell the band name. No spaces, all lowercase. Uh, so any plans to go on the road soon? I think you guys have a show in New York soon. Am I correct? Yep, Saturday night. Oh, that's yeah, tomorrow. <laughs> so we are. It, it is a Friday for those uninformed. You will be performing in New York tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay, so you got to drive ahead of you guys. Um, oh, we do. It's, it's going to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So what's, what's next for you guys in the process after you go on the road? That's just, uh, we're just going on the road for that one show coming yep. back. Um, and I mean, the rest for the rest of the summer, we have a couple more shows mm-hmm. planned after that. We've got O'Brien's Pub on uh, August 6th, Saturday. And is that is that is the one locked in? Yeah, Alchemy. August? Yeah, yeah. Uh, kind of going back to that guy, Nick, from uh, Hammer Collective. Mm-hmm. We just dropped off shirts, so we're going to have T-shirts. That's going to be exciting. Oh, and so then cool. um, we got these most recent two gigs through him. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, O'Brien's is going to be a really good time for our Boston folks and then the Rhode Island crew at Alchemy. That sounds like a very, very good time. As far as on the road, though, like there are plans to really go on the road. Um, they'll be a little bit down the road. Yeah, you got to plan that uh, plan that ahead a little bit because yeah. this is also your first time really leaving the state, I assume, to perform a show, right? We've played in Connecticut and Rhode Island and stuff, but we've never played in New York before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's definitely be the furthest time. I've traveled. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Nice. So you're getting farther out there, getting more experience, getting more coverage of the land. Loved mm-hmm. it. Love to hear it. I want to thank you guys so much for being here again. It's really great to have you here. And I think what would be best is we have Wiper Blades take us out. How about that? Sounds good? That's Sounds great. Good. Thanks, and man. Thank you. Lately, it's been hard to Wait, wait, wait.
And the sketchy road ahead of me, he's 